0: Greenie with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back and better than ever, Greenie with you, presented by Progressive Insurance, my guests, and there'll be plenty of them on the Shell all Performance Line. Dan Graziano in just a couple of minutes on the NFL's trade deadline. Marcus Spears, the big swaggoo, right behind him. Teddy Bruski will join me for the first time on this radio show today. So I'm looking forward to that. I've always liked talking to Teddy. Uh, And so we will do all of that and a whole lot more. It is trade deadline day in the NFL, and that's obviously a big deal. But let's start with what is obviously the biggest deal. I'm old enough to remember a time when we used to say happy election day, because it felt like a day of celebration. Uh, I don't know if it feels that way to everyone right now, uh, but it is obviously an extraordinary important day. It is a a monumentally important day. And I want to make it clear right off the front that I'm well aware of that. And so I want to explain, if you are new to being around me, I've been hosting talk shows at ESPN for 21 years, and through all of that time, I have had a fair amount of say in how we were going to approach anything that we did, in particular, a day like this. And so I just want to share what my philosophy on it is. It doesn't make me right, or necessarily, or wrong, but it is the way I've always thought it made sense to do it, and that is as follows. Like you, this is an extraordinarily important day for me. I have strong feelings about what um, I hope happens and what I expect to happen and everything else. But it is my feeling as a person who works at ESPN that if you are choosing to spend part of this day, whether it's all two hours, and if you are, God bless you, or 15 minutes, (coughs) excuse me, or whatever it might be, with me and with ESPN, watching us on television, listening to us on the radio, wherever else, it is because you are looking for a break from that. So I would guess that pretty much every single channel on your television and every station on your radio is going to be talking about the election today, and understandably so. It is obviously far more important than anything that I'll be talking about today. But I assume that if you are here, it is because, for whatever reason, it will make you feel good on this day, a day that I know a lot of people feel very anxious about. It'll make you feel good to hear me, maybe a voice that you've become accustomed to over the years, talking about football. And so that's what I'm going to do. That is, uh, my has been my philosophy on this forever. And that is that if you are choosing to come hang out with me today, it is because that's what you're looking for. It is my job to be that respite from all the rest of it for you. And so I'll do my best to do it today. And I'm honored that you're with me. And thank you very much for spending this time with me. So today in football, the big news is the trade deadline. And I will get to that in a minute. But I was just told Some breaking news here, and and certainly for me, this is a very big deal, and all of us who pay close attention to Big Ten football, and I can't seem to find it here, but here it is. Wisconsin football has canceled its home game this weekend against Purdue, so by now, if you're following this, you are aware that Wisconsin has had an outbreak of the coronavirus. They're the first Big Ten team to be really hit, to be impacted by it in this way, They did not play their game against Nebraska last week, and now they are not going to play their game against Purdue this week. And I will repeat for those of you who have not been paying attention to this, that in the Big Ten, these games this year are not rescheduled. This game has not been postponed. This game has been canceled. And here's a Wisconsin team that is number nine in the country. And unless something substantial changes, they are now going to play a maximum of six games this year. The Big Ten put together an eight-game schedule. Every team plays eight games. They're all within the conference. They will play uh, a maximum of eight games and without any breaks, no buys, no no wiggle room before the college football playoff committee gets together to choose the teams that will play for college football's championship. And the Big Ten obviously left themselves no margin for error. And for a school like Wisconsin, this has now become an enormous problem. Nebraska didn't play last week. They will play Northwestern this week. Purdue will now not play this week, and neither will Wisconsin. Again, that is the news that I have as of this moment. I'll try and get you more on it as I can. But Wisconsin, which did not play last week, will not play again this week. Pretty legitimate question. How many games do they have to play in order to receive serious consideration for anything of consequence at the end of the year? It's a real question. We'll see if we can get answers to it as we go. But that is the breaking news of the day. The big news of the sports day, of course, is the NFL's trade deadline. And my friend Dan Graziano, outstanding NFL insider, is with me here on the uh, on the Shell Oil performance line as we work our way towards that. So we've got a few hours to go here. Dan, what is the latest? As you have your ear to the ground, what are you hearing as far as the possibility of any deals we could be looking at before the deadline this afternoon?
2: I think uh, teams are still kind of eyeing each other a little bit, waiting to see if somebody blinks. But, you know, it it might not be a lot of activity here. I mean, first of all, a lot of stuff got done last week and and a couple days ago. Remember, if you trade for a guy today, you're not going to be able to use him this week because of the COVID testing procedures he's going to have to undergo. So you're really only getting a guy for the final uh, what is this week nine final eight weeks instead of the week the last nine so that's a consideration and teams really don't want to take on payroll because everyone's concerned about the cap going down next year and you can roll over cap room from one season to the next. So if I take on a big contract like to go for it, I'm one piece away right like we were talking this morning about the packers like do we want to go get a receiver or a defensive player that puts us over the top in past years, you might have said yes, but this year teams are hesitant because, they really want to be able to preserve that cap space and roll it over into next year because they don't want to get in trouble against the salary cap next year. So uh, you could see some activity. The big names that have been out there, you know, we talked about Stefan Gilmore and the Patriots. Do they do something? Obviously their price for him is very, very high, as you would expect it to be. Um, could they move a guy or two, a veteran or two, in their secondary possible? Uh, and then the receivers, um, Houston has a bunch of receivers, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks and guys like that the teams are interested in. John Ross in Cincinnati. Cincinnati hardly ever does deals. So, you know, we will see. I, I think um, oftentimes this particular trade deadline ends up being a little bit of a of a fizzler rather than a sizzler, if you will.
1: And yet the Packers continue to be the team everyone is watching. And I, I feel like, if nothing else, yeah. there's a lot of external pressure on their decision makers to do something here. There, there, there's just as much noise around this particular team dating back to what they chose to do in the draft or more to the point didn't do, and then the way their season has gone, I feel like there's as much noise around a team on trade deadline day, that particular team, as there has ever been around any team I can remember. What is your sense of how that pressure might impact what they decide to do?
2: Yeah, I just don't think that it's going to matter to them. Honestly, they run their organization a certain way. It is draft and develop. It is very unusual. I mean, look, the free agency they did a couple of years ago, bringing in uh, Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos, I mean, that was a really unusual flurry of free agent activity for a team that is almost always uh, composed of players that it drafted. There was a study done a couple of years ago, like the most uh, players or the fewest players on a roster that they have ever played for a different organization, and the Packers were far and away had the fewest. It was like one or two. So that's how they like to do it. Uh, they think that Alan Lazard coming back off of injured reserve will help their receiver core. They like their young guys are going to continue to develop. them. I don't think they're going to bow to external pressure. Uh, they, they drafted Jordan Love in the first round uh, in April and then a r- doubled down and got a running back in the second round while everybody's yelling at him all day. Uh, they pack, packers are going to pack her, and that's, that's pretty much where they are.
1: I get it. I mean, maybe someone should tell them that they've only won two championships since Bart Starr was their quarterback. And one of them came because they signed the first huge free agent in NFL history, which was Reggie White. Right. They, they won their first championship, the Favre title that they won. They won because when free agency first became a thing in reality in the yeah. NFL, they were the ones who signed Reggie White.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, sure, there's examples. I mean, they're they would tell you, look, we're in the playoffs every year. Over the past two seasons, they're 18 and five. I mean, like it's not like what they're doing isn't working. Yeah, you get to January and you wish you win the game instead of losing it. But you know their belief, and I can understand. I mean, I see their point. Their belief is that the key is to get there as much as you can, and then eventually one of them will break your way. So obviously they got thumped last year by the 49ers, but oftentimes they're in the game and they have a good a chance as anybody to get to the Super Bowl because they're they're putting themselves in that position. That's just how they operate and that doesn't mean they won't do anything what it means is they're not inclined to see themselves as one big acquisition away from going from very good to great or you know very good to championship they think they can win a championship is what they have
1: all right we'll leave it there for the moment dan graziano thank you my friend i will see you tomorrow morning but we will stay in close contact if anything happens in the next two hours we will call you back for sure thanks dan Sounds good. Thanks. I I can't tell you, by the way, how much I hate that thinking on the part of the Packers. Baseball is a sport where you just try and get yourself into the playoffs every year because the postseason is something of a crapshoot. Football is not that. Football is a sport where if you have Aaron Rodgers, you make the playoffs every year. If they've deluded themselves in Green Bay into thinking they make the playoffs every year because they've done such a great job of putting that team together, then they are doing exactly that. They're deluding themselves. They're kidding themselves. They're in the playoffs every single year because they have a transcendent quarterback. And he covers up for all the other flaws, and he just can't quite get them over the top. And so I'm not even a fan of this team, and I'm frustrated with that line of thinking. Just getting to the dance is not the goal in football. This is not baseball. Those are very different circumstances. Let me bring Marcus Spears into the conversation on that. The big swag who we showed this morning, making it uh, the, the, the depth. Uh, of your athleticism marcus never ceases to amaze me back at lsu making that one-handed stab (laughs) interception and i was telling the crew and i couldn't we couldn't get it in time didn't you have a pick six in the national championship game
0: pick six in the natty for and took it to the house baby like gee i keep telling people man i'm an athlete bro i'm not i don't know i don't look like it anymore but i was an athlete man I got it it done. Nick Saban knew to drop me in coverage because I was going to be in the way, pick off a football, and go the other way. I scored three touchdowns off pick sixes in uh, college, man.
1: I love it. And and then the one that we showed today, you didn't score, but you did run over Rex Grossman, who had thrown the interception, which was actually more fun to watch one way or the other. But I was just talking to Graziano here. And, and, and talking about the Packers. And I just want to get your perspective. You know, they could make a deal maybe for Will Fuller, who who I think would be a huge difference maker. Maybe for Kenny Stills, who's also a good player. There's defensive needs that they have. And, and, and he was saying that their philosophy there is that they believe in drafting and building through the draft and just developing players. And they're, they're not big on making moves like this and, and bringing in players from the outside. And, and it is my feeling that... that Today is the difference between them having a real shot to win the championship this year or not. They need a player or two. How do you see the Packers and how important today is?
0: Uh, today is huge. And, I, I, you know, G, we talk about the wide receiver spot because that's been what's so polarizing based on the draft and where we are now. And I thought they actually had something in Lazard. He was beginning to show um, me a reason why they didn't take a receiver in the draft. But that injury obviously derailed what they wanted to do offensively. We know Devontae is a number one receiver, as good as they come in the league. But now you see the depth behind that. valdez Skintlin was playing well, but that was really due to Lazard and his ascension and being able to roll. And then Tony the, the tight end got involved. So, listen, they they have to try to go out and get a guy to compliment Devontae, but also to build a championship level team as far as getting over the hump they were in the nfc championship last year but getting over the hump is a playmaker like everybody's adding playmakers and then defensively they need linebackers and i don't know if that's a you know it's difficult when you say a team needs linebackers because a lot of what green bay linebackers did um in these games to cause run was just bad technique a lot of it was just bad technique sometimes being good in a run is just being where you're supposed to be and I try to explain that to people all the time now if you got guys that can't cover downfield if you got guys that miss a lot of tackles obviously you need to try to find someone else to fill that void but when you look at Green Bay on tape they have linebackers that aren't understanding where they fit they ended up in the same gaps so that's fixable by coaching okay and then if they can't execute that you got to go find somebody else but on the offensive side of the ball gee, we know what it is I mean look You know, I was one beating the desk about maybe they already have their guy in the building. And I don't think anybody would argue that that was Lazard. That was what they saw. But then not being able to sustain that injury and keep that same level of success has been an issue. And then we talk about Green Bay in this context too. Like Green Bay was putting up a bunch of points, so that covered up a lot of the defensive efficiencies. Teams had to go into throw-the-ball mode because they were putting up so many points and getting ahead. But we saw in Tampa, Aaron couldn't afford to throw an interception. They couldn't afford to get behind because now it becomes about the other team's pass rush and your your offense really playing in a in an unfavorable situation. So I, I think they need another weapon. Um, but I would I would venture to say that the Baltimore need, Baltimore Ravens need a weapon worse than they do.
1: Hmm. Green and Swagoo presented by Progressive Insurance. I was going to ask you about Baltimore, but I was actually going to ask about the offensive line um, in, in what I guess is, is both a terrible and fortunate story. Their superstar yeah. left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, has, suffers a, an absolutely terrible injury in the game against the Steelers on Sunday, just a few days after signing a monster contract, almost $100 million. Obviously for him, I guess you're relieved that you had, at least had the deal, as devastated as you are for the injury but I guess my question to you is what can, what can a team do if you lose your left tackle week 8 can you bring someone else in how how do you see that impacting their season and what if anything can they do about it
0: I mean look I don't want to take away from how good Ronnie Stanley is obviously they paid him because he's one of the top left tackles in the league but G, to be honest with you this doesn't affect this team because of their quarterback as much as it would affect somebody else that that literally relies on their left tackle to keep everything clean. It's not that the Baltimore Ravens don't. But the Baltimore Ravens are a run-centric team, first of all, and then they're a team that really want, really allows their quarterback to, to play off a of field. And understanding that Ronnie Stanley is not back there. You can't rush Lamar Jackson the same way you rush every other quarterback like he's in a in a league of his own when it comes to trying to get him on the ground so it's an impact i'm not trying to defer from that um but it's not as much of an impact it would be uh with with other quarterbacks in this league that don't have that that great feel and aren't able to get out of trouble as much as lamar is um And then, too, after Stanley went out, they still proceeded to run down Pittsburgh's throat. So this this team is – the Baltimore Ravens are perplexing in this regard, G, because we know that they can win games. And You know I've been screaming this. We know they can win games. We know this team has the ability to beat anybody they play against. The problem is the two teams they're going to need to beat to get a Super Bowl they haven't had haven't had the success they needed to have. They haven't been able to beat him. Lamar is being asked to do too much. He doesn't have the guy out there to get it done. When he when he just needs to say, hey man, we're gonna call this play. And this is what this is who I'm going to. And I feel confident that he's going to win. Um they he doesn't have that. And Sneed was the best receiver for the Baltimore Ravens against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's not going to win you a Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not trying to knock these players, but that's not going to get it done. You know, we talk about Marquise Brown, but I believe Marquise Brown needs a one on the other side for him to really be as impactful as he can be. He's a good football player, but he's not a one. And, gee, as as I continue to say one, think about this. What other team that we consider – Super Bowl caliber, having a chance to win a Super Bowl that doesn't have an identifiable number one receipt.
1: I'm thinking it through. I mean, the Steelers clearly have found themselves one. There were all these questions about whether Juju was one, mm-hmm. but now this Chris Claypool seems as though mm-hmm. he is. Kansas City has like three of them. Uh, yep. <laughs> Tampa Bay has at least one of them and, and maybe more than that. Green Bay clearly has one. So, you yeah, know, Seattle has two. So, I yep. think you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm telling you, man. Like we, and, and it was something we talked about early in the year. We talked about after Chase Claypool had that performance he had, we said, oh, there's, there's the number one guy right there. There's the big receiver. There's the Plexico Burris to, to, uh, that Juju needed. Juju is better suited in the role he's in. Mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson is a very good receiver. They were doing it by committing. But now with Chase and his physical ability and what we've seen him have the ability to do, we can say, you know what, Pittsburgh has a one. They have a guy where Ben can say, hey, I'm going to Chase. Win with your big body man. We just saw last night Tom Brady throwing the ball over Brad Beard to Mike Evans for a fade. Lamar doesn't have that guy. And a part of the a, a part of me screaming that they need to evolve, they need more creativity in this passing game. They need to evolve as a passing offense as well by concepts and things that they're doing differently down the field. But also they need somebody to threaten that G. When Greg Roman was with the San Francisco Forty ers and Cap was the quarterback, you know who his two receivers were? Anquan Bolden and Michael Crabtree. Yeah. They were legit ones. Okay? That is that is one of the that is one of the things that you are going to have to have throughout the history of this league. And I don't know when we got away from thinking that teams without dominant receivers can win Super Bowls. Like, and, and when I say dominant receivers, I mean someone that the other team has to say, if we don't get this guy stopped or if we give up plays to this guy, it's going to be that way. And I know everybody's argument. Yep. Well, San Francisco last year didn't have a guy. Kyle Shanahan has offensive plays coming out the wazoo. Emmanuel <laughs> Sanders was wide open down the field. And Debo Samuel is as important to what they do offensively as any other receiver in the league based on what they do for each particular team. We saw the difference in the 49ers offense this week against Seattle without Debo Samuel in the lineup. So they have they, they might not have what you would consider a one, but the way Kyle Shanahan use, runs his offense and uses his guys. They have ones for that necessity.
1: We'll see if they can figure out a way to do it. Swaggu, I got to run. Thank you. Have a great day. We'll see you four Eastern for the trade special. Thank you.
0: All right, my brother, peace.
1: It's Marcus Spears with me here on ESPN Radio, inviting you to be a part of Greeny Nation. We have the Dr. Pepper call-in line. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you. Treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. Speaking of college football, again, if you're just joining me, the big news from that sport today, Wisconsin has canceled its game for this weekend again. They didn't play last week against Nebraska. They will not play this week against Purdue. Their season right now is in a state of flux. Coming up next, as we continue on this day, the most disappointing player of the first half of the NFL season by far.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
3: H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y.
1: Greeny back with you on this election day and trade deadline day in the NFL. And I want to remind everyone who doesn't know that starting next week, there'll be a new way to find me and all the other radio shows here on ESPN. You can stream hashtag Greeny daily on ESPN plus starting Monday along with the Dan Lebetard show with Stu Gotts and Max Kellerman and Shanae Golick Jr., You can also get tons of live sports, exclusive originals, and a whole lot more by signing up at ESPNPlus.com. But don't forget, you'll still be able to hear us all on the ESPN radio stations all across the country who carry us and on SiriusXM and the ESPN app. It's an exciting time in a lot of different ways that you can hang out with me, and I am grateful that you are chosen to do so today and any day. That you so choose. Uh, again, that news about Wisconsin is, is just, it's, it's tough. I, I, I love the Big Ten Conference. If you were relatively new to me, I went to school in the Big Ten. I follow the Big Ten closely. Wisconsin's a really good team. Opened their season with an extremely impressive opening night performance. They played on a Friday night, and we haven't seen them since. And I'm not exactly sure when we're going to see them again. Their game against Nebraska last week wasn't played. Their game against Purdue this week will not be played. That will put them at six games, which is basic at at this moment is the minimum that they are being told that you will need to play in order to be eligible for things like the college football playoff. Now, all of that is fungible because who knows what's going to happen over the next few weeks. This is literally taking things day to day. But one way or another on the day of the trade deadline, that is big news and it's bad news and we'll keep an eye on it for you. Meanwhile, I told you I would give you the most disappointing player in the NFL to this point. And to me, there isn't any question who it is, at least for me. Over the summer, I remember on GetUp saying in July, we all did, when it became clear the NFL was going to start opening the training camps and they were going to come back, we started doing NFL preview then. There were no other games going on. So we were just going through all of the different things we could with the National Football League because everyone else was paused. And I remember we all named who we thought was going to be the MVP of the league. And I threw the name Carson Wentz into the mix because that's the player that I really thought had turned the corner last year. I thought the questions about him were about his leadership, his ability to lift everybody around him. And at the end of last year, with all the injuries the Eagles had, I really thought he did it. I really thought he put that team on his back and on his shoulders and and was ready to finally transform that extraordinary talent into the finished product that we have so long thought he could become. And instead, frankly, he's been bad, flat bad. He's had a handful of decent games. But I want to read you the numbers on Carson Wentz and compare them to a quarterback last year who through his first eight games lost his job. The numbers I'm going to give you right now are Jameis Winston last year versus Carson Wentz this year through eight games each. Jameis Winston had 16 turnovers through eight games. Carson Wentz has 16 turnovers. Jameis Winston had been sacked 30 times. Wentz has been sacked 32 times. Winston was completing 59% of his passes. Wentz, 58. Jameis Winston had a QBR of 50.9. Wentz, 50.2. All of the numbers on Winston were slightly better. Now, I, I can already hear you yelling at me. Yes, I understand. Jameis Winston had a lot more talent around him. But we're talking about Jameis Winston. The guy hasn't started a game this year. He couldn't get a starting job in the National Football League off of those numbers. Carson Wentz has a $100 million contract, and people still talk about him like he's a franchise quarterback. He needs to put that team on his shoulders. He's playing in the worst division ever. It has been a very disappointing first half of the season, for Carson Wentz, we'll see if he is able to change that around. Uh, by the way, I mentioned the terrible division that he's in. It's a little packet of statistics that my buddy Hembo threw together for me. And I would mentioned this yesterday, but this really puts it into context. In the three games the Dallas Cowboys have played since Dak Prescott got hurt, they've had 32 offensive drives and they have scored one touchdown. One touchdown in 32 offensive drives. And again, it came when they were down 31-3 to in the final three minutes of a game against Arizona. They've just been horrendous. And I'm looking at my buddy, my buddy Bubba as I say that, because Bubba is a Cowboy fan, and we were all just laughing during the break. It's Bubba, Nuno, and me who are in here this today. Bubba is a Cowboy fan, Nuno is a Giant fan, and I'm a Jet fan. Our team stink. Like the three of us are sitting here and we are just bemoaning how awful. You realize, Bubba, that people are talking about the Cowboys like they're the worst team ever, and you have more wins than Nuno's team and my team combined. Nuno and I have our teams combined have won one game. At least yours has won two.
2: Yeah, I mean, at least when I'm thinking about it, it's always it's never going to be as bad as the Giants or the Jets. At least I have that going for me.
1: It's correct. It it is. I I can't fight it. I can't argue it. And it's bad. I mean, it's the Cowboys are awful. But it's not as bad as the Giants and the Jets. Here's the thing. You had expectations. Like people were picking the Cowboys to win the division. People were picking the Cowboys right. to go deep in the playoffs. No one thought the Giants would be any good. No one thought the Jets would be any good. So would you say that your level of disappointment is greater than Nuno's and mine, despite the fact that your team is actually marginally better?
2: Uh, I mean, it's so tough to say because once Dak got hurt, I mean, the whole season just Went you know went to hell so I mean obviously they weren't really they weren't really playing uh, too well. all right calm down um, they weren't really playing too well before that but still clearly Dak was having a great season so there was still some hope but once you know once uh, once he went went down it's it's over
1: put put that on the hashtag Greeny uh, social media feed although we don't have one we just use mine which is at ESPN Greeny I'm posting that once <laughs> Bubba quote. Once Dak went down, the whole season went to hell. And that's pretty much exactly right. There have been 32 offensive drives since then, and they have scored one touchdown. Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. Quoting home insurance just got easier with Progressive's home quote explorer. Quote and buy all online at Progressive.com. All right, I'm going to pause there for a minute because I have a whole other thing I want to get into about why it is you should care about the story I'm about to tell you Even though, if I were you, I wouldn't. And I'll tell you why. Everybody has it all wrong about Jim Harbaugh.
0: Greenie, the podcast.
1: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, as we continue along the way on this election day, and I want to give you an indication Oh, Jim Harbaugh in just a minute. I, I will tell you why everyone has it completely wrong on Jim Harbaugh in just a minute. But I'll remind you that every single day our show becomes a podcast. And in case you are on the fence about whether or not you feel like you need to make sure you hear every word that gets spoken here over the course of our two hours, I will just read to you a text I just got from Ray, who quoted Bubba. He said, once Dak went down, the whole season went to hell. Well, you don't get that from Adam Schefter. And that's exactly right. You don't get that from Schefter. You don't get that kind of insight that hashtag Bubba just gave you as a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. That once Dak went down, the whole season went to hell. And yet his team has more wins than Nuno's and mine combined. That's the reality. But all of that notwithstanding... You can listen to Greeny every single day as part of a podcast. It is a podcast. The show is a podcast, and you can hear it anywhere you normally get your podcasts. Um, Some more late-breaking news, if you will. John Elway has tested positive for the coronavirus. The president of the Denver Broncos was feeling some symptoms, so he stayed home. His name is Joe Ellis. He stayed home from the game on Sunday. He subsequently tested positive. Elway went in, got tested. He tested positive. So we have that in Denver. That obviously doesn't impact the, the players, But we have that there. The one that does impact the players, of course, continues to be Wisconsin. If you're just joining us, their game this weekend against Purdue has been canceled. That leaves six games on the schedule in total for the Badgers this year. If they're going to have a season in which they make a run for a championship, at least as the rules are currently put together, they can't afford to lose any other games. Now, let me get you to the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. It is becoming very popular to just dump all over Jim Harbaugh. And I get it. Jim has a way about him that makes people mad. As it makes people sometimes a little bit uncomfortable. He's not the easiest person to deal with. And so I get why people sort of take some glee in knocking him down. And I was reading after Michigan lost to Michigan State this weekend, Pete Tamil had a column on Yahoo Sports in which he wrote... Michigan has failed its brand and history so resplendently that opposing fan bases are openly rooting for Harbaugh to get a lifetime contract. Let's consider that for a minute. Has Michigan failed its brand and its history so resplendently? I would argue they have not. Jim Harbaugh is being belittled, criticized, and diminished because of a false perception about the program that he leads, which is to say the University of Michigan is not and has not for a very long time been among the truly elite football programs in America. That was true before Harbaugh got there. It is true today, and it will probably be true long after he leaves. Do you know the last time Michigan won an outright national championship in college football? Anyone want to take a guess? Bubba, anybody? Last time they won an outright championship in college football? was 1948. Do you know how many titles they've shared since then? One. Do you know how many national championships the legendary Bo Schembechler won at Michigan? Zero. Do you know the last time they won the Big Ten was 16 years ago? Ohio State has won it nine times since then. Those are facts, and Jim Harbaugh has almost nothing to do with them. Here's the reality. The two coaches who preceded Harbaugh at Michigan, Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, Went 24 and 32 in the conference. 24 and 32 in the conference. Going into this season, Harbaugh was 32 and 12. He had won 80% of his games against everyone but Ohio State. And therein lies the rub. People want to make this about Ohio State, but that is not a good idea. Because a hammer and a nail have a relationship, not a rivalry. And that's what this is. Ohio State had beaten Michigan in 10 of 11 years before Harbaugh got there. In fact, the only Ohio State team to lose to Michigan since 2003 was coached by Luke Fickle. So I think that the, really the best way to look at this is with a question. Is the problem in Ann Arbor the coach, or is it the expectations? Have they really failed their brand and their history so resplendently? Or have they actually played right to about the level they realistically occupy? I'll say it again. They have won, one shared, one national championship since 1948. They shared it that one year. They've not won an outright championship since 48. So this idea that they should be winning the championship every year or Harbaugh has not lived up to expectations, what are the expectations? Whose are they? Who is it that is realistically expecting them to do that? Bo Schembechler won zero national championships. Jim Harbaugh has won exactly the same number of titles in Ann Arbor that Bo Schembechler did. I never heard anyone say that Bo Schembechler resplendently failed their, their history and their legacy. He's an icon. He's a beloved figure. When he was the athletic director, they won a championship in basketball. He's the one who said a Michigan man is going to coach Michigan and he's the one who got Lloyd, uh, whatever his name was, out of there when he was leaving and put Steve Fisher in. And, and that's how they won the championship that year after the coach had left. They won basketball championships under Bo Beckler, not football. So this idea, because they have all of this tradition, they go all the way back to the origin of the sport. And they have these really recognizable helmets. And they won a lot of games all the way back then lead people to believe that if Jim Harbaugh isn't winning national championships in Ann Arbor, that he's not living up to their standard. But the reality is he is. He's done way better than the people that were there right before him. And if you're going to make this about Ohio State, you're going to lose that every single time. That is the straight talk. Again, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. I made a bunch of those points in an essay on television last year, and people got very worked up about it. But all I'm doing is reading you the numbers. These are, these are the facts. This is the truth. So you're telling me you think Michigan should be much better. I'm all ears. There's a lot of reasons why they could be. What I'm telling you is they haven't been. So I don't know that Harbaugh has failed there at all. I also don't know exactly how long he's going to stay there because he doesn't have a contract beyond next year. And I've not changed my opinion one bit that NFL teams absolutely should be interested in bringing him in. And I'll say it again, if the Jets went out there to interview him, I would be ecstatic. All right, we have a huge hour still to come with you here. Teddy Bruschi will join me. We'll keep an eye on all the trade deadline deals and a whole lot more delighted that you are along for the ride on this election day. Greeny on ESPN Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.